Welcome, welcome, guys. We're back for another episode of The Lock-In. I'm David Lappin. I'm joined by Slenderman himself, Darrow Kearney. Not a pick on him, I tell you. Uh, how is that diet going? <laughs> Um, not going so well since I came back. I kind of slipped back into routines. As you, as you noted, Marae is a feeder. And it, <laughs> while she theoretically got behind the idea of me being on a diet and was very impressed that I had shed weight, she kept going, oh, well, you can just have this yogurt. And sure, here's a slice of cake. And um, yeah, um, <laughs> it's a, it's. I'm, I'm afraid to weigh myself now. I'm pretty sure I've put on some weight since I came back. Oh dear. Well, look, this week I am delighted to say we are joined by a great friend. She is a Groner Pro and she will be hosting the upcoming uh, Malta Poker Festival in the Porto Maso Casino just down the road from where I'm sitting right now. She is Katie Swift. Katie, welcome. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Good to be we're, here. Good to see you both. It's great to see you too, Katie. Look, I want to talk all about your ambassadoring and various hosting duties shortly, but let's jump straight into that story that just refuses to go away, frankly. It's, of course, Robbie J. Glue and Gareth Adelstein's drama uh, on the last lock-in. The story was just breaking, or maybe it was a few days old, and I think Darren and I called for cam heads, uh, said that people had to be very careful with accusations being flung around. Obviously, that all fell on deaf ears, as many of the loudest voices in the community uh, decided that they just had to chime in, they couldn't resist, and they were uh, maybe also interested in this story for the uh, salaciousness, but also the clicks. I feel like some of them were after the clicks. Um, well, the burden of proof is not on Robbie to prove her innocence, but rather on her accusers to prove her guilt. She has followed through on her offer to take a lie detector test, which she passed. She is now also looking to file charges against her alleged co-conspirator, Brian Sagbigzal. Uh, the former Hustler live stream employee who, of course, swiped 15K in chips off her stack when no one was looking. Katie, what do you make of these latest developments? Uh, I'll be honest with you. I haven't followed it in as much depth as other poker players have. I'm just, I'm so busy. I can't keep up with it. I remember logging on to one of the um, sort of the streams, if you like, and I thought it was 10 minutes long. I thought, well, I can manage 10 minutes. I can sit in 10 <laughs> minutes watching. And during watching it, Literally, I thought this has been going on longer than 10 minutes and realized it was 10 hours that this yeah. stream was about to go on for 10 hours. So I just logged off. I was like, oh, I can't be doing 10 hours on this. So it was um, also like 10 hours, like for like nine days out of 11 or something. It was something <laughs> ridiculous like that. It was a lot. It really was a lot. Um, so yeah, I have, I've, I've probably just touched the surface on you know, reading a few tweets and different social media bits, grabbing a few little clips here and there. I've watched the hand. I have watched the hand through a few times. Um, I I personally don't think it's any cheating, but I could be wrong. I like just that is literally from what I've seen a couple of times of the clip. Um, I've called down. I, it was actually Andy Hills. I called him down once with Jack Pye very different situation it was uh he was getting on my nerves to be honest with you so I, <laughs> so I called him down on the river with pink with uh, jack high on a online pro sit and go game that we used to do so it can be done but it was different scenario obviously hers was on the turn with one card to come so it was very different um but it does happen it happens in the scenario where sometimes you just you just snap and you just go do you know what i've had enough of this I think you're drawing. I think that I'm ahead of your draw. I'm I'm going with it. Maybe not for that amount of money, but who knows? <laughs> no one knows each other's bank rolls or bank accounts of what what's a lot to us might be a little to someone else. So yeah, I mean, I'm I've followed a little bit of it here and there, but nothing substantial. Yeah, it should be noted that the polygraph tests are not admissible in court because I think they are not 100% accurate. Of, you know, that that would generally be, I think someone quoted recently, they're somewhere between 85 and 90% accurate. But it speaks kind of volumes, Robbie's willingness to take one and her change of heart with regard to wanting Mr. Yeah. Sag Bigzal prosecuted. There are certainly strong indicators of innocence, I would suggest. Add to that how for a while it was a 200k plus bounty for anyone who would come forward and squeal on their co-conspirators and that was left unclaimed that's quite a big one as well uh, another indicator worth noting Daryl, what does this all leave team gareth in like they, they, it's becoming a little hard to stage now right yeah, it's um, I mean he basically went down on a limb early on making a, 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 a 
an accusation based purely on that the hand looked funny, um, which, and then his his side, let's say, seized on different data points like her initial reluctance to prosecute Brian, um, the fact that she was going on podcasts. But to be honest, all of that stuff didn't really none none of it was an indicator of guilt in my mind. It just seemed to me that very quickly. Uh, the poker world started consuming this as reality TV rather than anything else. And they just chose a side and which side they chose kind of had more to do with their identity politics than anything else. People who identified with Gareth assumed, well, Gareth would never, ever make up an unsubstantiated claim. And they and and, and, and they contorted themselves into further and further gymnastics to try and use every single data point as a further vindication or indication that he was correct. And on the other side, people who decided that Robbie wasn't cheating um, were were dismissing every data point. Uh, our, both of our positions from the start was like, we don't really know. Let's wait for the official investi- investigation. We, I, I had a very strong tendency to believe that she that there was no cheating, that everything could be explained by just um, a fairly inexperienced player uh, going with their read on the day, and everything she did afterwards, um, it seemed more indicative of somebody who was innocent rather than guilty you know guilty people tend to lawyer up and just disappear and and let the lawyers do this, this speaking but her her willingness to engage with the story her willingness to go to go for a polygraph okay it might be not not 100 accurate but like even if it's only 90 percent accurate and you're lying then in 90 percent of worlds you are going to be caught out by that um so it's gareth's position also seems to have moved from <clears throat> he was convinced or at least he said he was convinced that he was cheating to the point where he actually gave the money away that she had given him, treating it as entirely his own money. Um, to now, in in the latest LA Times piece, he said he's he thinks it's very likely. Now, very likely is an interesting phrase. Like it doesn't even necessarily suggest probable. Um, you know, it's it's very likely I might go out tomorrow, but that doesn't mean I'm definitely going out tomorrow, or I'm or, or I even think I'm probably going out tomorrow. Um, He's in a really difficult position because he staked his reputation so much on that cheating had to be found. And he he hired a private detective to go through the the footage and produce, again, very unconclusive, inconclusive stuff. It, all the stuff that they came up with just looked like fairly inexperienced players, maybe soft playing each other because they knew each other. But I mean, we all kind of know that happens in these high stakes cash games anyway, but definitely nothing which amounted to cheating. Um, so it now looks like the case just can't be proven against Robbie. And in fact, most people have decided she almost certainly wasn't cheating. And <clears throat> there has been a very clear shift of public opinion. Even people who were very strong team guard now think he should just back down, admit he made a mistake, give the money back. Yeah, to zoom through and maybe reiterate a couple of your points there, uh, Robbie was a very willing participant on Joey's endless Streamed shows, which by the way, I believe he's threatening to call the lock in, Darren. I don't know if you've heard this. Really, Joey? Really? He's, he's been on the lock in, so it's not like he can even claim. Uh, I know, right? We'll do an investigation. Like, oh, that's a good name. I'll take that. <laughs> he, did, he didn't lock me in with them when I thought they were 10 minutes long and realized they were 10 hours. Yeah. <laughs> I was out. <laughs> yep. But uh, like you said, like she did an L.A. Times piece. He's done an L.A. Times piece. It does feel like, you know, they both grabbed onto the opportunity for notoriety. This clearly he came from the um, Survivor world. I think one of those uh, popular um, shows on, on TV for reality TV fans out there. Um, yeah. And, and then you mentioned there the money. He made a decision to give the money to Big Brothers, a very you know good charity to, to give money to. But uh, there's another detail in that one, too. Uh, yesterday from the perspective of when we're recording, so it'll probably be a few days ago now, uh, Lou claimed that she asked him uh, if the money could be split between a charity of his choice and a charity of her choice. And then he just unilaterally went and gave it all to a charity of his choice. So apparently that discussion had happened just before he'd made that donation. So even that's a little bit weird as well. Um, not, not a good look overall. Um, considering the consequences now for a while, I watched a clip on Twitter a couple of days ago, which Bart Hansen uh, suggested that Adelstein would not be welcome on another live stream until he made this right, by which I think he basically meant gave the money back. It's hard to see him back down from his position now. As you said, I I think in that article with LA Times, he was sort of talking about, I don't know if I'll even come back. I've always had this, you know, funny 
attitude about poker and whether I should be in it anyway, blah, blah, blah. And it was all, this kind of, there was a lot of nonsense, reflectiveness going on. Um, it was a pretty actually skin crawly uh, article, I, I must say. And, and I don't think he came across well in it. But could this be an end, an ignominious end to a poker career that I guess was sort of peaking just a few short weeks ago, Dara? Yeah, I mean, I think it is. It's it's definitely true that Garrett has sort of blown hot and cold on poker. He has disappeared from um, poker in the past, and from talking to people who know him very well, it does it does seem to be uh, to do with genuine mental health issues, um, which are which obviously we're very sympathetic towards. This is if if this is the end, it is a very ignominious way to leave. Um, it, it it leaves a really foul taste in the mouth. And on the subject of him being welcome on on live streams, like. It's not just Robbie who we attempted to throw under the bus. It's also uh, the live stream itself, Hustler, which which was an amazing game for him. Uh, and he, he he made millions in that game, or over a million, I believe. And uh, it also definitely raised his his star and his profile. And you know, our friend Jason Tompkins said tweeted that he's never seen anybody literally take such an amazing spot and just blow it for for the sake of one hundred and thirty five grand, which was small percentage of what he was making in that game so the the whole thing has been just very badly thought out by Garrett uh, if indeed there was any thought he, he may just have reacted instinctively it also has portrayed poker in general in a very bad light just how quick people were to rush to judgment and 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 also to swing from one extreme to the other oh she's definitely not cheating oh she's definitely cheating oh no I think she's definitely not cheating again it's like uh, some lady I'm sorry I I don't remember her name, but she tweeted the one thing that she's got out of this is, she, is, is if she ever, ever has to face a jury of her peers, she wants absolutely no poker players on that jury <laughs> because because they make up they make up their mind too quickly on 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 relatively small data, and maybe that's not completely unexpected. I mean, poker is a game of incomplete information, so we are used to making judgments, snap judgments all the time. Oh, I think he's a I think he's bluffing here because of this, or I think he's not bluffing because of that. Um, so maybe poker doesn't produce the right type of mindset uh, to deal with this sort of stuff. Well, one final point on all of this, and I want to bring you in, Katie. Uh, hopefully this will be great to segue out of it, actually, is the normally quiet Tom Dwan has been one of the loudest voices since this story broke. And he actually got quite interrogatory with Lou while they were both appearing on Joey's stream. He, he called her out for collusion with Jacob Chavez, the player more commonly known these days as Rip, who staked her into the Hustler game. During this back and forth, Lou did admit, and, and Dara alluded to this a moment ago, uh, that she soft played Chavez in one heads up pot that they played together on the stream. Now, Soft playing is obviously not good to see, nor is it good when a player and their horse are in the same cash game. Uh, Dara, we did a lot of staking actually for tournaments. And obviously, once in a while, we would end up at the same table with one of the players we staked. It's not ideal, but there's no way we could ever, you know, avoid, like we wouldn't be in control of the seat draw, if you like. And, you know, there's no way we would ever soft play that person, nor would we expect them to soft play us. Cash games are a bit wonkier, though, because you do sort of choose your table in a much greater sense. Um, and and maybe uh, you could be you could maybe weigh in on this one, Katie. Uh, like, if you were at the table with your partner, if you're at the table with your friends, if it's a very kind of friendly atmosphere, I kind of imagine that it sort of doesn't matter because the motivation is less about winning money. Obviously, for some people in these mixed ability cash games, some of them are very much trying to win money, and some of them are very much just trying to up their profile or have a good time or dunk around with some famous names. Um, what's your view on, I suppose, how tolerant we should be of soft playing in that context, if it is the context of like two probably losing players just not really going hard at each other because they know each other? I mean, I was at a cash game, funny enough, on Friday night and there was a husband and wife at the table um, that everyone knew they were husband and wife. Um, they were going at it with each other. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were really battling. It was actually um, the guy that won the Goliath this year, Kyle Jeffrey, and his wife Ellen. Um, and they were like, they were having a good time. They were socialising. They were drinking a lot. Um, I am sure one of them ended up sleeping on the sofa at the end of the night. As a result, <laughs> <laughs> it was you know they were having fun and they were going at it. So. I've definitely been on tables where that sort of things happen, where you know they're they're willing to battle and it's very much socialising. Um, I've probably been on tables where there's collusion as well and people playing together and 
um if I've ever spotted it I've just simply walked away just not not just removed myself from the situation um you know I think that's the best bit I I would obviously tournaments it's different you don't get that option you don't get to walk away from your seat drawer you get told where you're sitting um so you have to just be alert all the time and be aware that you know who who are in stables together or who potentially has got percentage of someone else's action um I would say on the whole most people don't um play differently but you know it's everyone's so competitive nowadays um well not just nowadays but People want that win. They want that title. They want that, that trophy. They they know that there's bigger things at stake as a result of it as well. So perhaps even when they've got percentage of each other, they they still want to go for the win. So they have you have to play. You have to carry on playing regardless of who it's against. That's my opinion on it. But um, I think I've seen that mostly with a lot of the youngsters coming through the new sort of generation of players coming through yes they have swapped action or they fought percentage of other players at the table but they they want it so bad themselves they're just going for it mm. yeah great points um on this one i want to quote ike haxton actually who i think had my favorite take on why while soft playing is against the rules it, it's given a pass in certain situations he wrote Amateurs breaking the rules in ways that don't stop them from losing at a steady clip are often tolerated. The operative principle here is that fish can often get away with anything as long as they are still willing to lose. In my opinion, that includes stuff that would be cheating if someone else did it. I would only be comfortable playing in a game where that was happening if I was certain the two people doing it were horrible at poker and not really trying to win. It's mild because of the implicit context not because it's inherently a big deal. Dara, does that seem reasonable? Yeah, that seems very very reasonable. And I, and I think on the whole soft play thing, like soft play in a tournament doesn't just affect the players in the hand, it affects everybody else. If two players are soft playing each other, then they actually have an advantage purely because of the way ICM works. But in a cash game, if it's a heads up pot and they decide to soft play each other, like nobody else is hurt. Nobody else loses really. So it's a it's it, it, even if it's a crime, it's a victimless crime. Um, so I think in a cash game, you you, sh- you should be much more willing to uh, to accept. You know, maybe two friends will soft play each other, and a, and a pot which between two other players at the table would have been massive ends up being small because they are the only two people really affected by that. Um, in a tournament, if one player should have bust the hand and they didn't because of soft play, then that hurts everybody else in the tournament, and it's a different situation. Yeah, that's a very valid point, actually, about the difference between the cash games and the tournaments. Something to be aware of. Yeah. Well, moving on, there's another scandal brewing. No, no. Well, actually, I tried to alert people to this one myself. Dara, we played the Battle of Malta in which you cash four times. I want to point out, bring your uh, lifetime tally to 199 caches. Your double century sure to pop either this week in London or next week in Dublin. It's fair to say that the Battle of Malta has been a messy affair in previous years, almost maybe a victim of its own success. Uh, the sheer numbers are hard to manage, but also sometimes not great dealers and floor staff have been in attendance. This time around, there was a marked improvement, I have to say, in dealers, floor staff and organisational staff behind the scenes. That was really obvious. We were through the turnstiles. It was all very efficiently run. And I have to say, for the most part, dealers were great. Uh, there was, however, one shocking inclusion in tournament director Thomas Kremser's presence, the infamous TD who uh, whose relationship with EPT was discontinued back in 2011 in the aftermath of accusations of skimming from side events, uh, side event prize pools. It's only correct to point out that Kremser and Stars part of company amicably, uh, but that scandal was very big news at the time and many took his departure to mean that while there was no hand in the till smoking gun moment, there was enough circumstantial evidence to feel like he just had to go. Katie, I'm interested to know if you are familiar with this story. I don't know if there was a 10 minute slash 10 hour clip uh, or maybe (laughs) mine that you might have had a browse over. Uh, I've been told uh, quite a few people uh, about, I don't quite a few people about this one. And uh, what really interested me was only about half of them had even heard who Thomas Kremser was. Uh, It's all news to me. That is the first time I've heard of any of that. I, I didn't play that much back in 2011. I've, I knew the game, but was only playing like teeny tiny bits here and there at 
you know, sociable Friday night, ten pound game at the casino kind of thing. Um, didn't I, I? Don't know who that is, and I feel like I've been on the circuit quite a while now, so don't don't recognise um, any of that scandal from two thousand eleven. You said. Yeah, and you're not alone there. Like the attrition rate in poker is fairly quick. You know, players come and go, staff come and go. And actually, once you put 10 years later, actually a lot of the people are not the same people. So I think that's really understandable that that, that people are unfamiliar with this one. In a way, that's the environment that lends itself to someone like him sort of worming his way back into our community, which I suppose I really didn't want to see. And that was my motivation for writing the article. To quote legendary Finnish journalist, Yuhani Tiraseva, known to many as uh, Yussi, uh, the case itself was quite clear, he said. The whole story came out thanks to Yuha Helpi, who was one of three players left in the 5K side event tournament. The players were negotiating a chop and Helpi noticed that the event had 80,000 chips more than there should be. It was quite obvious that the buy-ins for four players had been misguided, his words, from the prize pool. Poker stars put 20K back into that prize pool, but I do not know whether the money came from Kremser or came from the company's own pocket. Kremser's wife, Marina, and his friend Gerard handled all the money manually back in those days. That was before computerized systems. Poker player and documentary producer Mika Antonin was adamant about wrongdoing in this case. When he posted at the time to the 2 plus 2 forum, he said, it's actually super interesting because this whole mess got swept under the rug by stars. They still owe players hundreds of thousands of euros, rough estimation of mine from this. A poker stars employee basically stole funds for many years. And once stars found out, they decided not to tell anyone or refund anyone. There are hundreds of hundreds of people who fell victim to this scam myself included with his reputation in tatters kremser went to the caribbean i believe after he was let go by stars we ran a few circuit events but then pretty much vanished from tournament directing altogether he has popped back up now and of course uh, battle of malta is where we spotted him and it is possible that the people from battle of malta uh, were unfamiliar with this checkered past, a little bit like yourself, Katie, there. Maybe just people don't know the name, would see his resume as being, you know, a really established, famous tournament director from bygone days and thought, well, this is a guy just coming back into the industry. Daryl, were you surprised when you spotted Thomas Kremser in the room? He, he was, it did seem like he'd had some work done, maybe a facelift and some new hair. So I, just, he was kind I was of just going to say, did you guys, like, did you recognise him straight away? And I didn't. Like, I actually didn't recognise him immediately. I'm not sure wow. I saw. I'm not sure I saw him before the final table uh, when I was doing commentary, but I did recognize him instantly. He has a very uh, distinctive voice. Um, you can change a lot about your appearance, but the voice, mm. the voice stays the same. Uh, yeah, I was. I, I was certainly surprised. I mean, given g- g- given all that's alleged to have happened, uh, you know, even if okay, times have changed now, and tournament directors and their staff tend not to be the ones handing the money anymore. You know, tournament directors are, are essentially the referees of our sport and they have to be above reproach. They have, you know, we we constantly get players out of the scammers and, you know, that's that that that's that's horrible when it happens. And and it's obviously reprehensible, but a player can only do so much damage. The, the guy who's the tournament director can do a lot more damage. And even if they don't have access to the funds, they can, you know, they can be corrupted in other ways. Um so it's I think when there's any question mark over somebody's honesty or integrity, that should completely disqualify them from from that position. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I was certainly shocked to see him back. I did remember the 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 reasons for his departure. They were very well publicized at the time. But as you say, you know, poker has a huge turnover. People forget um, most people playing now weren't even playing back then or, or, or certainly weren't playing at that level and wouldn't remember the stories. So. Um, it might be just a case that he feels like the statute of limitations has gone out now, and he can get away with uh, w- with coming back. But it, but but it's certainly worrying. Any any time somebody shows that slip of integrity, um, as I said, it should probably be a lifetime uh, offence. Yeah, really well said. Um, well, from one poker festival to another in Malta. Uh, next week is the. Malta Poker Festival. I always keep getting the names wrong, so I'm going to better be, be, be slow about how I say that because I often interchange them. Yeah, Malta Poker Festival, very difficult words to remember, David. Malta Poker <laughs> Festival. I battle of Malta. Poker Festival in Malta, <laughs> I mean, so hard. This is this is what I have to deal with here, people. This is just the abuse that I get. It's sort of, this, is, this is workplace. I'm going to speak to HR and you knew that. Um, 
Maltebogen Festival is, of course, the brainchild of uh, Yvonne. It's also sort of her second child. She was at the helm of the Battle of Malta in the early days, basically kind of uh, developed its success in association with poker listings in the early days over at Portimasso. And once it was sold to Casino Malta, she wanted to have a big 500 quid festival that brought people to the island in Portimasso still. So this one is a 500k guarantee. It's been running for several years now. It's been growing each year, I think, pretty much. It had a spring edition this year. Obviously, there was a, a bit of a weird uh, missing one for COVID and they sort of replaced it in the spring. But the normal pop in the spe- spot in the schedule is around now. Um, as is tradition, the MPF, I'm going to call it MPF, actually, that makes my life easier, uh, will have a host. Uh, and this year, it is none other than our guest, Katie Swift. Uh, Katie, Yvonne described you uh, in a recent interview as a talented poker player, focused and hardworking, a present and driven mother, wife, daughter and businesswoman who seems to juggle the poker career, her other work and her personal life in a brilliant manner. This does echo something Darren and I have often said about you. Where do you find the time for all this? (laughs) I have no idea, to be honest. I Honestly, sometimes I sit back and I, if I listed everything I did, I I don't know how I do it. But um, I always say I've got a great support network around me, um, great family, um, good friends. My friends are really understanding when I go off the radar from one week to the next, you know. Um, I've got really good, solid friendships where, you know, like where you pick up, you pick off where you left, you pick up where you left off with people and it's just, you know, nothing changes it's really good um and of course with Grove now they're really supportive they're um they know I'm hard working um and that's just always been my character I kind of I've always crossed every T and dotted every I in everything I do so um if I always think if there's some if I'm going to do something I'm gonna I, I am literally like I'm all in like I either do it or I don't um so and I enjoy it. I only do things that I enjoy doing. I think that's a real, um, real important thing to do, like to prioritise, you know, your, your things you find happy, things that you want to put your face and name to and that you enjoy. There's too many people in life that don't enjoy what they do. And I have never understood that. Um, there's too many things out there and opportunities that you can do what makes you happy so that's what I do so I don't mind not sleeping very much because I'm <laughs> happy so I'm really looking forward to going to Malta it'll be my first time out there I've never been um for poker or for a holiday or anything so it'll be a complete new trip new you know adventure for me um when Yvonne asked me to do it, it was like months ago she contacted me and was like how can we get you to be the host um for the ladies first event um I was obviously not expecting that and I I approached Grosvenor and asked if it was okay to do it I always do that out of respect for my sponsorship with them and they were more than happy for me to go over and host it um I've I'm used to hosting it like particularly women's events like I'm used to hosting them from the Grosvenor um ones that I've done in the past um but this will be on a different level because they're not necessarily ladies that I'm even familiar with that will be there. Um, and obviously an international one and a, a country and a tournament that I've never been to before. So it will be a whole new experience. Um, and I hope that I can, you know, do the tournament justice and do Yvonne proud and, you know, do my best. That's what I do. Well, a standout feature of the Malta Poker Festival is the ratio of women who attended the last stop in the spring. It was impressive to see such a huge female turnout. I was there every day and it was really noticeable, like two women per table was pretty much the norm. Um, the Gigi Flip Ladies event at Battle of Malta last week, I have to say, was a little bit of a damn squib, a bit of a flop, uh, falling way short of its guarantee in the end. What expectations do you have for the MPF Ladies First event that you're hosting? No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't have any, I don't know what to expect, to be honest with you. I don't know what um, numbers it will achieve. I think the festival is quite different because um, historically it ran back to back with the Battle of Malta from what I've heard. So it was almost like players that went out to play the Battle of Malta would then just 
continue their trip and play the Malta Poker Festival as well. So I'm not going to lie, I think that's going to affect numbers this year because people have already gone to the Battle of Malta. They can't really stay out there for just two weeks, like hanging around doing nothing. And to then come home and fly back and have the whole sort of do Malta again might be a bit much for people. There is also um, massive clashes with other festivals going on at the same time. I know there's a big EPT in London. There's, um, you guys just said there's the IPO. There's loads of other festivals in that particular week. Um, It is half term, which could actually go in its favour where parents, um, well, sorry, players are, are off, you know, for kids can be looked after or taken with them perhaps on make it a sort of a little mini holiday um so I don't really know exactly what to expect um but I have heard that there is a high percentage of women playing out there so um I know that some of the ladies I know from the UK will be going over um I just was at a GUKBT last week in Luton and there was actually I played a bounty event where I was massively surprised but uh, like really happy to see that every single table had at least one female on it and there was three tables that had three females a couple that had two and there was one with four women on it um it was honestly so good to see um there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. I know that not everyone understands it, gets it, or agrees with it. But from my perspective, the whole networking side of what you achieve from having the female-only events is huge in terms of like what the rest of the poker industry receives from it because then women gain their confidence. They have like a network around them, a support sort of, web if you like and um i i'm i've created a whatsapp group recently that has now got over 100 women in it it's pinging all the time don't get me wrong it's like everyone's chatting on there but you know it's lovely to have and as a result of that everyone knew that we were at luton they knew that we were going to be playing a side event others were like oh we're going to come down we're going to come down and just silly things like people are asking about um if what's the car parking situation or you know is it is it sort of safe to get there and who else is going to be there and any sort of confidence you can give women for that make it a safe environment is good you know it's a it's only ever going to be a positive thing um you know I'm going out to Malta I've never been there before I I am lucky in the sense that I would travel on my own I, I travel quite a lot independently um but I'm fortunate that I know a lot of people that I know I'm never sort of really on my own. You know what I mean? So, um, but for women coming in, it's nice to be able to buddy up with someone, you know, to make make the trip um, less expensive even by room sharing and splitting costs and things like that, which, um, you know, perhaps you wouldn't have so much of that if you didn't have that networking opportunity of the ladies game. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And my expectation, I think when people, getting back to your question about what's my expectation, people seem to think that you have to put a number on it. It's not always about the number of runners you get. It's more about what you get as a positive result of of holding that tournament. And you can hold tournaments that get, you know, I've got the, I've got the record in um, August for the Goliath uh, Women's Championship that got 219 runners which is fantastic but it's the positivity around it that and that that networking that is the best achievement from that tournament. Yeah well said the MPF is obviously a festival that puts the emphasis on recreation you just mentioned Goliath there I want to ask you about that uh, a few weeks ago I wrote an article on uh, the Goliath and I guess it is, you could probably fairly say it is the biggest recreational poker festival in Europe now um, and probably has been for quite a while. Um, you have to take your hat off the Grover. We're, we're obviously Unibet ambassadors and I, and I think there are ambassadors from other sites as well who, who've made these acknowledgements. You really do have to take your hat off the Grover for what they've achieved with this festival. Grassroots poker, not an easy nut to crack, not an easy thing to do. Probably, you know, 
small enough margins when you're talking about live poker and making it like even a profitable event and you have to build the whole thing up. So I, I think they deserve a, a huge amount of credit. And I, and I think, um, you know, even as ambassadors of Rivals, I was very happy to give it on, on something like that. Dara, what do you think operators can learn from the appeal of the Goliath? Um, it's basically just you have to market to recreational players in a way which makes sense to them. Uh, I think often people in the poker industry listen to the wrong voices. They listen to professional players or industry insiders who are not necessarily in touch with what appeals to recreational players. And uh, the further you, you know, we we all started as recreational players. Some of us still remember what vaguely what it was like. Um, some like Kate here actually have a really good sense of how recreational players think. But most pros very quickly sort of move into a different way of thinking and and find it very difficult to. Um, even identify what recreational players want. And I think even the, you know, going back to the to the Adelstein Lou story, you 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 kind of saw that where pros were completely out of touch with how how this came across to recreational players who just saw uh you know, a recreational player being berated, not just berated for for, for their play, but then being accused of cheating. Uh, and they couldn't understand that this looks so bad because again, they've they're they're just so far removed from the recreational mindset. And um, what I think sp- I think y- Yvonne's great talent as a tournament organizer is that she understands the way recreationals think and she understands that they are the people that you ultimately have to appeal to. Um I I, I do share some of the concerns raised that <laughs> It's going to be difficult for them this time because of the delay uh, after the Battle of Malta. A lot of people used to go for the two, and now it's going to have to. She's going to essentially have to pull a different crowd. But I think it, no better woman than Yvonne. Like I know from even from grassroots level in Ireland, one of the great grassroots organisers in Ireland is, is a guy called Rinty Monaghan, and Rinty is the kind of guy who can get thirty people to go to a tournament just because he organises everything. And I know he Yvonne has successfully identified him in Ireland, and he, him and his group are all travelling out to <laughs> brilliant to to that. Yeah, so. I, I think Yvonne is very good at building these relationships. She's also a very good talent spotter. You know, Kate, Kate, Katie's the best woman for the job, clearly, to um, to, to host the ladies' event out in Malta. So it's no surprise to see Yvonne um, approach her. Like, I, I know from talking to the Battle of Malta organisers, they were obviously very disappointed that the, the their ladies' event flopped and also that there were so few runners from the UK, which traditionally has been a, a, a rich source of uh, people coming to play tournaments in Malta. So um, I, I think it always comes down to, as I said, just understanding what recreations want. And, you know, Katie talked about people want to buddy up, people want to have a friendly face when they go there. And and that's that's super important to recreationals. And we should never really lose sight of that. Well said. Well, Katie, I want to ask you one more question on the topic of uh, Goliath. You obviously made your name in some sense when you came second in that tournament in 2015. I always feel like some careers are inevitable and some careers are inspired from a result such as this one. Was it the case that this result gave you the confidence to go on in the way that you have in your career? Or do you think your rise in the game was going to happen anyway? Oh, that's really interesting. I've never been... I've never thought of it like that and I've never been asked that. Um, I think, you know, I think it was kind of uh, a little bit of both, if I'm honest. It was something that I've got my own business. Um, I've always wanted to be independent and, you know, like work for myself and um, sort of have that freedom to to pick and choose what I want to do. and obviously the financial security of that win was able, I was able to then um, invest a little bit more into the poker, um, into my poker career, if you like, like com- more confidently. Um, and I think this is a weird one, but I think it was um, more acceptable that I was then going to give it a shot because mm-hmm. I think it was um, quite a strange one for outsiders to understand or uh not that I'm worried whether anyone accepts it or not but it was like you know other mums in the school playground or um you know like even family members or friends would perhaps having that result and then having us having a sponsorship as a result of it made it uh, a viable option made it more I don't know what the word is but just sort of 
helped a bit, I suppose, in that perspective. But I would have always played poker. I enjoyed it from the first hand I was ever dealt. Like, um, took a while for me to get there because my mum and dad had been like trying to sort of get me involved and said that you'd, I'd enjoy it. Um, but it, I didn't think I would. I was quite young at the time. Um, and then the minute I played, I just loved it. Absolutely loved it. I loved the. I used to love playing Cluedo as a kid and like work, like trying to work out who did it and you know what room and and it, and it feels a little bit like that poker. You're trying to work out the hands and you're trying to work out things. So I've definitely always enjoyed the game. Um, perhaps I. So the thing is as well, I I don't necessarily. It's a weird one. This as well. I don't necessarily regard myself as um, a pro in terms of like some other players play way many more hours than me they they are um definitely traveling around more than I do they're kind of um it is their full-time job their full-time profession whereas me it it isn't as much as I, I would love it to be but I just you know I've got loads going on um business family work and that so um I'm never going to be able to like get up and just do poker all day every day um but I actually think that is good for me I think it complements and blends well with my life that when I then play poker um I can it's my relaxation and it is still very much um in my mind as that it's like my hobby and my my bit of me time and um and I enjoy it for that and I think because I enjoy it I'm able to then do well at it and succeed whereas perhaps if I had the pressure of being a full-time pro like what other pros have where they have to make their money at it who knows I'm I may not have done so well with it I may have like flopped under the pressure of needing to get paid do you know what I mean so um I think the fact that I've blended both works well and um having that Goliath result was like the springboard if you like to doing it but um I mean, I'd had some other bigger wins online before that. But I think because I don't talk about my online so much, um, it goes under the radar, which I'm still more than happy for that to do. Um, So therefore, when I would play live, no one kind of knew that I knew how to play or like so much. I wasn't given as much credit, perhaps. So then I could actually play Goliath and get that result by going under the radar which obviously doesn't happen now when I'm playing but um just different isn't it that's a really interesting perspective yeah um turning back to you Dara at the time of recording we are packing our bags for UKIPT London at the time of release we're probably already there at the tables battling away from there we go to Dublin home for you uh, away to Dublin for me uh, where we'll play the Unibet IPO it is a shame it does clash with the MPF. We'd love to see it out here, uh, Katie, but uh, just unfortunate the way the scheduling has gone this time. Yeah. The online satellites have been absolutely massive, Dara, ahead of the IPL, with a record number of qualifiers looking like they're going to win their seats on Unibet Poker. We still got more satellites to go, actually. They were meant to stop now, but due to popular demand, we are adding lots of satellites. So um, I think even by the time this comes out, there will still be a few days more where you can win your way into the main event, the Chip Race Mystery Bounty. Let's be honest, that's the real main event. And the 1K High Roller. Um, Dara, would you preview the Unibet IPO for me, please? Yeah, it's, first of all, it's a, it's a pretty short festival. <laughs> it's It starts Wednesday and the last day is Monday, but it jam-packs a lot of stuff in there, kind of similar to the Malta, or sorry, the Battle of Malta, where... So you're doing it as well? Did anyone catch that? <laughs> he almost made the same I didn't remember the right words, for Crowley a moment ago. But he, he, um, it was, yeah, like as soon as you bust one tournament, you can either re-enter that tournament again or you can or you can jump straight onto the next one. I think the buy-in levels are also set for recreational players in Ireland. So I think a lot of, uh, I think the side events will be very well attended as well. Um, and there's a nice mix, you know, there there is that high roller Although I can I can hear people like Jack Hardcastle descri- laughing at me describing a one K as a high roller, but um, <laughs> for for recreational player one K is a high roller. Uh, we have we, we have the main event, we have the Chip Race Mystery Bounty. Uh, we're trying to put our our name on every Mystery Bounty now from here on out. Um, <laughs> but I think Mystery Bounties uh, really do generate uh, huge um, excitement. 
and that that in itself will uh there's got you know it, there's going to be a a live stream table as well that's something which really adds to a festival i think people just knowing that they can they can get on the live stream or they can watch the live stream when they're when they're not playing um and yeah it's just a very well-rounded uh schedule with uh something aimed very much at recreational players and that's that's essentially what the ipo has been from the start um the Irish Open, when I started, was a much bigger buy-in than it was now, which was out of the reach of most people. So the original idea of the IPO was let's have something which everybody can play. And it always got great numbers from the start. And it has that tremendous tradition of uh, being essentially the grassroots Irish Open. Um, to the point to the point of view that some people actually think it is the Irish Open, when I talk to um, foreign players, sometimes they talk about the Irish Open, but it becomes obvious that they're actually talking about the IPO, not the Irish Open. Uh, so very strong brand. It's great to see that it has persisted. It's great to see Nick in charge. Uh, I mean, I, I I did intend to say that when uh, we were talking about the Battle of Malta, that you know I didn't want to go to the Battle of Malta this year because the last one I was at 2019 was such a shit show. I said, I'm never playing this festival again. It was one of the worst run festivals I've ever seen. Battle of Malta was one of the best run festivals I've ever seen. Um, maybe maybe actually the best run of that size. Uh, so credit to the organizers for getting it right, but also credit to the people who worked it, worked there. And a lot of those people will be at the IPO. Um, you know, Glenn, Glenn Doyle, who we well know from Unibet, Nico Harris, the main man. And they were, they were responsible for a lot of the improvements that we saw Battle of Malta make. So so you can be sure as well that the IPO will be impeccably run and uh, hopefully there'll be no clock malfunctions. <laughs> Very good. Well, I remember next... going to an IPO once many years ago, actually. I think when Gough Grosvenor were involved with it somewhere yeah. along the line and um, vaguely remember playing a, an IPO. Just, yeah. I'll have to sort of put some of those on my schedules for next year because doing a few different ones would be nice. Oh, we'd love to welcome you there. Yeah, I think uh, as a tournament, it's had quite a lot of sponsors, different sponsors over the years. I remember even Full Tilt had a go of it one year, uh, but yeah. it has been oh. Unibet property for, I think, the last four or five. I and, think, uh, I think it, uh, yeah. It, from our cold, yeah. dead hands, Dara. I think it might have, might have gone Boyles, Full Tilt. Uh, it was it was Grosvenor for at least one year, and it was Winamax, I think, maybe a year or two oh. before we came in. So it's certainly... Uh, bounced around but but Univet have have claimed it for the last few years yeah well look the next episode of the lock-in will be a special on location episode from the ipo so you'll see me and dara there to tune in for that before we go we have one more plug we are contractually obliged to make uh, there is a brand new nightly schedule mtt schedule on Univet starting this coming monday featuring bigger guarantees the lowest rake in the industry special leaderboards very likely overlay, and more PKOs. Dara, quickly tell us why less rake and more PKOs are better. Um, PKOs have kind of taken over online for a couple of reasons. They're much more fun than normal tournaments. They they uh, they actually solve a lot of the problems of normal tournaments from the recreational perspective. The stalling, for example, is not really a good idea in a PKO. You're supposed to play it in a gambling style and try and build a stack so that you can, uh, you can take bounties. Uh, it encourages very loose play, which obviously is a lot more fun for recreational players than, than sitting there waiting for the nuts. Um, so PKOs have, we've seen them take over on other sites to the point where three quarters of the tournaments are PKOs. Now we're, we're, we've been a little bit slow on that front, but it's good. It's fair to say that the new schedule does, does address that. Um, and also it's, it's, it's good to see like there's basically going to be a decent nightly schedule now where there's going to be a number of games, 10K guarantee and a few other big games on every single night um, so that people uh, can can commit to playing for the night um, rather than just having only one game to play. Um, and what, what was your second point after PK? Oh, Rake. Yeah, Rake. Rake is an interesting one because recreational is never, if we're honest, they never really think about it too much. Um, and any time I brought up Rake, for example, Earlier this year, when when stars um, were apparently mistakenly or accidentally raking the hypers uh, at the EPT ten percent, and I brought it up, a lot of recreation said to me, "You know, look, we don't really care about rake. Like we're we just we just care about what the buy-in is, and we don't care what percentage of that goes in rake." Now that might be true um, in the sense that they're not uh, directly concerned with it, but indirectly, indirectly, it does affect things because it's extra money out of the pool. Um, it means they'll lose their money faster. 
um, they'll reach a point where they don't want to play any more faster if that's the case. So even if they aren't think they shouldn't be concerned about rake, they, they, they should be really. Um, and it's good to see uh, Unibet committing to basically they're going to be the lowest rake at every at every price point. Uh, there will be no other no other side can come and say, oh, well, at the at the mid stakes we have low rake, or at the high stakes uh, they're they're literally matching the lowest rake right across the board, and um, that can only be good for the ecosystem long term as well. Well said. Well, back to you, Katie, for a final word. Do you like the PKOs? Do you dabble in PKOs much? Yeah, I I, I like any poker. I'll, I'll play PKOs. I've played my first mystery bounty last week, which I really enjoyed and cashed in that. Um, play all different formats i've started to play a lot more plo um games i'm sort of dipping my toes in that um cash games tournaments online live i play the lot i probably don't get i'm probably not known for that but yeah i will i, I play lots um of different formats and i enjoy that i enjoy the variety and the options and you know you can pick and choose um if you've only got a little bit of time, you might just want to play a little sit and go, you know, but if you've got oodles of time on a Sunday afternoon, you might fire up a bigger session. So it's um, it's nice to have so many options now, which, is, you know, back in the day, you take it back a decade, you just didn't have that. It was all very samey, samey, wasn't it? So, um, yeah, it's nice. It's nice that the game has developed and um, there's more options. Um, I obviously I have my own um, women's game every Wednesday that um, I host online and um, there's lots of ladies that get into that and then play other things as a result um, whilst they've got their session up you know so it's good good and I just also mentioned that I don't know when this show's going out but there is actually a free roll for a Malta Poker Festival package um, on Thursday I'm not sure if that's do you know what we'll do? Just for you, Katie, we will put this show out on Wednesday so that people... <laughs> Is that fitting really well with your schedule? No, I mean, it was no, but I would just as a personal favour. Yeah. Oh, it's um, it's going to be on Thursday at 8pm on Grosvenor. It's a free roll for a package, um, which is going to be worth nearly €1,700. So, like, massive, massive opportunity there for someone to win it and there's like top 10 prizes as well on other things but that's the sort of thing that um poker operators are doing to help get people in the game and give a little bit back as well which is really good to see you know yeah we can certainly all get behind those kinds of giveaways that's great to hear on that note i'd like to thank our guest this week katie swift thank you guys thanks for having me great to see you as always well, we wish you all the best in Malta next week. Sorry we can't thanks. be there. And of course, I'd like to thank Dara O'Carney as well. Yeah, thanks. And thanks to Katie. It's always a, a, a delight to have Katie on the show. It really thanks. is. Well, this has been the lock-in. Do you hear that, Joey Ingram? This has been the lock-in. <laughs> copyright. Take care, everyone. Co- copyright. <laughs>